You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Remember when I would talk to Turtle and I would, I, you know, Jerry Ferrara, and I'd always talk about it, and I'd say, hey, hey how's Emmanuel Shrieky? Sometimes you'd lead the interview with him. I would. I'd say, hey, uh, Turtle, how's Emmanuel Shrieky? Uh, good. She'd have no interest in you. And I go, that doesn't matter. I have interest in her. Who doesn't? Spectacular. She is. In person, she was wonderful. And she was in uh, Zohan with uh, Sandler. Sneaky, great role by Sloan, who was in uh, Entourage. Yes, McLeod. And you turned that movie down, as I recall, right? Yes, I did, because that's where I was asked if I could do a Middle East accent as a cab driver. And I said, no, I don't think I'm... I mean, I'm, I'm a well-versed, you know, well-traveled actor. But, I, you know, that was... That was something that was probably out of my milieu. I think the timeline convicted, uh, conflicted with other acting roles that I had there. <laughs> and I, I do regret that because I remember asking Sandler, I said, you didn't tell me Emmanuel Shrieky was in the movie. He goes, you didn't ask, Danny. Yes, yes, Fritzi. So I see what you're doing here because this is a great segue as far as talking about like some of the beautiful people out there in the world. So I'll let you take it from there because I'm very comfortable saying that. What? Brady Quinn? Sure. Emmanuel Shrieky to Brady Quinn? I'm talking about beautiful people in general. Oh and, you know, we God. always get bummed when he has to join us on the phone as opposed to on the Zoom. Here he is. We get the visual aspect. How awkward is this, Brady? <laughs> I feel like it got really hot in here all of a sudden. You mentioned Emmanuel <laughs> Shrieky. Like, I'm, I'm starting to sweat. I'm starting to take me back to the days of Entourage. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure how to feel right now. Can I, let me ask this question, Dan. Yeah. So when I say the Sloan. Yeah. Which does that take you back to? Like, who do you first think of? Is it a... Uh, can we hold on? We got uh, something that's uh, happening technically there. It got too hot. I think it's burning up the lines, phone lines here with uh, with Brady. Hold on, Brady. Yes, Paul. What he's referencing there is a classic argument, Sloan from Entourage, or Sloan Peterson. Sloan Peterson. From oh. Ferris Bueller. Oh. Played by the great Mia Sarah. Don't go deep with me on that movie. Hmm. Mm. She was a stunner. I like Sloan, but she's not Sloan from Entourage. Yeah. But, it, you know, that's a, that's a very good poll question right there. I haven't seen much of uh, Sloan Peterson from uh, Ferris Bueller say, oh. Yeah, Seton. That is, uh, yeah, Sloan Peterson. Uh, she might be the uh, 80s Emmanuel Shrieky. Ooh. Great point. Ooh. All right, all right. Or is Emmanuel Shrieky the... 90s or 2000s. Todd, are we good to go? Yeah, I think that was an AirPods issue that was causing that hissing Oh, sound. okay. Let's bring back Brady Quinn. Let me give you the full introduction here. Uh, Fox <laughs> College and NFL studio game analyst, and uh, you can hear him. Two pros and a cup of Joe alongside LeVar Arrington, Jonas Knox, and that's the show that precedes ours on Fox Sports Radio, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern. Where were we, Brady? So the reason why I ask you the question of who you think of is because our eldest daughter's name is Sloan. And usually that puts you in one of two categories. Mm. You're either a Ferris Bueller's day off, and that's your first recollection of the name Sloan, or you're an entourage. And so there's like a cutoff of like the older folks who remember Ferris Bueller's day off as the Sloan or entourage, which is like kind of the more cooler hip version. But you said Emmanuel Shariki, so you get points for being more the cooler hip version. And, and relating it back to Entourage. All right. That's all we needed to talk to you about, Brady. We appreciate uh, your time. As, uh, as Happy always. holidays. Merry Christmas. Hey, did you see where they changed the rule? The uh, Kenny Pickett rule, where now 
it's if you give any kind of indication, you're going to like college football changed something immediately and nothing changes in college football. Uh, what did you think of the play and what do you think of now them revising the rule? Well, I understand the revision for it because it's a player safety issue. And, and I think they're looking at it saying as soon as you begin to go down, that's where they're actually spotting the ball. So ultimately it makes it a harder play, not only on the defender, but on the officials, whereas they're almost basically saying, you started to give yourself up, play is dead. Like we're giving you that protection as a runner. But if you're being honest with me about it, I thought it was the dopest move we saw maybe <laughs> in college football season. Like if there was like a Heisman moment, it might be that for Kenny Pickett, even though he was phenomenal this year, like that singular play that ended up in a touchdown now literally got you to change the rule. Like I don't, I don't, he's not going to end up winning it. Bryce Young will, but my man, Kenny Pickett, uh, hashtag two gloves. Like that was one of the coolest things. And it, it led to a changing of a rule, much like in our show with LeVar Arrington, he was jumping over, you know, line of scrimmages to block kicks. Like he, kind of pushed forward that change of ruling for player safety as well. So I, I give him a lot of credit for pulling it off. What do you think of Pickett? I, I think he's the best quarterback in this year's draft class. Um, I think when you look at the strides he's made every single year at Pitt, when you start breaking down the film, one of the biggest things you notice is his game's going to translate to the NFL level. Um, almost similar to the, the model in which, like I've compared him in the past, he reminds me of Ben Roethlisberger coming out of Miami, Ohio. He's not quite as big as Ben was. But when you go back and watch some of that tape, you know, he can play from the pocket. He's got a strong arm. He'll take those shots downfield. He has no problem, you know, with the 20-plus uh, yard throws. But he also can create, and he doesn't give up on plays, and he's got a little, little, little bit of that to him, and he's got that kind of it factor. Like, I don't know what it is. I can never understand or describe it. But when you watch him play and you see him, there's like a toughness about him. He just – he has it. So – if I was a team looking for a quarterback in this year's draft, that would be at the top of my list. Okay. Could he go number one overall? If you're the Lions or the Texans, could you see Kenny Pickett going number one? Uh, I could, yeah. If, if they're the ones that ultimately feel like he needs to be the guy right away. I mean, the one thing playing to him is he's played a lot of college football. And so I think if you make him, if you draft him there and you make him the guy day one, he's experienced, I, I think, with what he's been asked to do by Pat Narduzzi and their staff it should translate well. Now the question really becomes, what does he have out around him? Um, and, and that's depending on the team you're looking at, if it's Detroit or Houston, not that much. Uh, he had a Blitnikoff finalist and Jordan Addison on this team this year. Uh, he's had some talent at wide, at the wide receiver position on, on pit throughout. Uh, so that'll be the biggest challenge. But he's got the mobility and he's got that sort of toughness. Why I think he'll be fine making his way through a lot of the adversity early on. It just comes down to whether or not they surround him with enough talent out around him. Chip Kelly has been given permission by UCLA to talk to Oregon. What do you mean? Are you going to let Phil Knight just sweep in and and scoop him off and take him away? I mean, there's less recruiting uh, restrictions there. He's going to get paid more money. That is a cupboard that is not bare. I I know Chip Kelly's done a good job at UCLA getting it to this point, but Mario Cristobal is leaving a team that should be able to compete talent-wise in the Pac-12 the next couple of years. So if you want to give the keys back over to Chip Kelly, I mean, it, I think it's going to it's gonna keep them up atop, at least the Pac-12 and in one of the top 20 teams in college football. But can UCLA afford to keep him? Or can UCLA afford to not keep him? 
Yeah, that's that's the tough question. I mean, I, I don't know any big money donors out there. Do you? I mean, maybe we should call them up and ask them if they're willing to stroke that check to keep them. Because I, I know Phil Knight obviously tried to keep Mario Cristobal, and he may be. And I don't know how things ended there in Oregon with Chip. I, it probably it probably didn't necessarily end in a bad way if you're going to go take an NFL job and that's how you're leaving. So I'm sure they'd open the door and have that same $90, $100 million, 10-year deal waiting for them. Uh, that's hard to turn down. So unless UCLA is willing to ante up with that, and I don't imagine they are, uh, I would say it would make a lot of sense that Chip found his way back to Eugene. If you ran the Steelers, dot, 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 what would you do? First order of business next season. Well, you, I mean, they've been trying to subtly or softly find the replacement to Big Ben, but at the same time, give him enough respect for what he's accomplished, a Hall of Fame career, you know, throughout his time with the Steelers. So now that's the position you go draft and you go figure out how to replace. Uh, I, I said this earlier this season when I was watching some Kenny Pickett film, we started talking about some of that Heisman buzz he was starting to build. I said, this is who he reminds me of. He happens to be playing football at Pitt. They share the same facility. I don't know many people know this. The University of Pitt and the Pittsburgh Steelers share the same indoor. They share the same training facility. Like, just keep the guy at home. Like, if you're Pittsburgh, if you're the Steelers, do whatever you can to go get that guy. Because I think he walks right into that organization as familiar as he is with everything. And he helps get them kind of back up to where they need to be. Because it's not a roster that's devoid of talent. It's just one where I, I think they just need to find that next guy to bring some of the mobility that Ben used to display early on in his career there. If, if you'll remember, like the big plays down the field, the Heinz Ward and Mike Wallace and Emmanuel Sanders, like all those, um, you know, all those big plays. Antonio Holmes back in the day, it was all his like mobility and, and the job he did shaking guys off, making moves to make big plays. You just you don't really see that from him anymore. And, and you get it at this this age in his career. Is Kirk Cousins a good quarterback? I would say he's better than good. I, I think you can make the case he's he's great at times. He probably doesn't get enough credit for how consistent he is. Um, you know, the, the question of if he's ever going to win a Super Bowl or help a team elevate to that status, it's probably one where, and, and there's a lot of quarterbacks that fall into this category, he probably needs more out around it. Than, than other guys, right? I mean, you saw Dalvin Cook last night. That was He really stole the show. It but why so did much. they stop running? Why did you all of a sudden th- let Kirk Cousins throw the ball? They didn't need to. Uh, uh, they didn't need to, but it, it, could, it could be a schematic thing too, right? Where do you want Dalvin Cook, who just came back from injury, to be banging his head against a loaded box? I mean, you do have Justin Jefferson, who's one of the best wide receivers, maybe the best right now. In the yeah, NFL but you got Madison. Part. Madison can run the ball. You didn't have to have Dev. I just thought, you know, what are you doing? And then he threw two interceptions. Next thing you know, Pittsburgh's back in the game. Yeah, but, I mean, look, the, the one that was the K.J. Osborne, they're trying to run a rub route. Akella Witherspoon, you know, he, Osborne stumbles. Akella Witherspoon cuts in front of it. There's, there's always these, like, look, before the play, do you think they were saying to themselves, well, let's not throw it because we know Kirk's going to throw an interception here. It's like, yeah. look, crap happens. It did on that play, and it resulted in, you know, again, giving Pittsburgh some momentum. But, you know, I just – I hearken back to it's not like they're trying to go into that game and say, hey, let's blow the doors off of uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and then let's let them creep back into it for TV ratings or to make it more suspenseful because, I don't know, we've played 10 games this year where the game's been decided in the final play, so let's just make it another one. You know, let's make it our – ninth or 10th game, whatever it's been. 
Okay, but there's a pattern here, though, Brady, with this Vikings team. That's why they're an average team, because they don't put you away. They don't, you know, it's they allow you to, they, they're in the game and you're in the game. And that's a recipe for disaster in a, you know, an 8-9 season, maybe a 9-8 and eight season. No, and that's where it looks like it's heading right now. But but I don't even know if that's necessarily a product of just the, the coaching. I mean, you don't think Mike Zimmer, being as defensive-minded as he is, wants to run the football more than anyone? Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 there's probably a lot of conversations being had right now this morning about it because as much as you're happy about a win, usually that's when, when coaches are most critical of players and most critical of their staff because you can still feel good after the win, whereas after losses, you kind of need built back up like this is an instance where there's going to be a lot of questions being asked of the offensive staff as to why you got away from the run game when there was these gaping holes the entire first half that Dalvin Cook was running to. Like, where did that go in the second half? So th- there's got to be an explanation. My bet would be the Pittsburgh Steelers were selling out at that point to stop the run. They wanted to take those one-on-one opportunities when they had them. Talking to Brady Quinn, Fox Sports College and NFL studio and game analyst. Uh, Mike McCarthy guaranteed the win against Washington. I don't know what that means. Like, if you say, look, I'll quit if we don't win. Like, you guarantee. What are you guaranteeing? If if it doesn't happen, then what? Like, I, I don't even know what that means. But now it's bulletin board material for, like, Washington wasn't going to play hard. Like, you know, yeah. in division against Dallas, he guaranteed a victory. Um, how would you feel if you're Dak Prescott and coach says, I guarantee a win? Well, you better have his back. I mean, the, the whole quote, when you listen to it, the interesting thing was he said it, and then the reporters followed up with him about it. And then he kind of was like, well, you know, I expect to win every game. Let me just back right out of this. Like, like he almost was like, oh, I said that? Oh, my bad. I, I, I didn't mean to say it. I mean, we expect to win every game. So what's different about this one? I would respect um, him more if he just said, hell yes, I guaranteed it. Well, I, I think people feel more comfortable you know, saying these quotes and making these proclamations because, you know, who actually has a bulletin board anymore, Dan? I mean, who's literally <laughs> taking the, the clipping from the paper and going, let's just put it up here on the bulletin board so everyone walks by and sees it. Oh, no, someone ran by and got knocked down. we got to put it back up with the tack on the bulletin board. I, just, I mean, I'm trying to think of any organization I was ever part of where we actually had a bulletin board material. Like, we actually had it placed somewhere. I mean, it might go up in a team meeting, over the, you know, I guess it's an iPad now, the computer system, right? They might put it up, but it's not like you're going to be reminded of it throughout the course of the week on some bulletin board in the locker room. Wait, I mean, did you ever have bulletin board material? Like your coach said, this is what they're saying. I, I did in college. I will never forget this. I did in college, but it wasn't through our team. It was something that actually my mom sent me. So my we played Boston College and it must have been my freshman year, and we ended up losing. I think I threw maybe a couple picks in that game, whatever it was, and they were in a linebacker there named James Ott. I think that was his name. He actually was like good friends and teammates with uh, Brian Flores, the head coach of the Dolphins, and I remember my mom sent me a clip where he said something about, well, he's not that special or he's not that good in relation to me, and I did have a bulletin board material in 2003, so I remember I put it up in my dorm room and I kept it throughout my entire college <laughs> career and I never forgot that. So I don't know where the heck James Ott is. I'm pretty sure that was his name, but I never forgot. I never, I never let that go. Paulie, bring in James Ott. Here James, he comes. James, thanks for joining us. Uh, Brady <laughs> is calling you out here. Well, did you play better the next time you played against Boston College since you lost the game your freshman year? 
Yeah, I think I played better, but I think we still lost. Yeah, we ended up losing that next. <laughs> we were up. We were up, and I think we ended up losing by like a last-second field goal or a last-minute. Are you? Goal. Were you the Kirk Cousins of Notre Dame football back then? Gosh, probably those first couple of years, maybe. I don't know. The last, <laughs> last couple ended up being all right. Like I don't, I don't think that was the issue. The last couple, you know? like Bryce Young just won the Maxwell. I won the Maxwell. Yeah, I, was, I won a couple of Player of the Year awards. Like I don't, I don't think that was the issue back then. At least. <laughs> How important is this game for the Browns against the Ravens? You, you know, you could have said last night was the season for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I, I get the sense like that's what this game is um, in taking on the Ravens. Not only just for, I, I think, their hopes in the division, but just with all of the hype coming into this season about the Browns. I mean, let's not forget, we were talking about them like a potential like outsider of making it a Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, and they got past the hump of beating Pittsburgh in the playoffs. They did it in dominant fashion. And, and so this is like that other team that I think, look, dating back to when I was there, the Baltimore Ravens, it was always one of the toughest teams to get by. You know, just their defensive scheme, the culture, their everything. And they've struggled against them. So I think if they lose this one, um, you, you'd have to start thinking that there's going to be a lot of questions about the future at the quarterback spot, how they feel about Baker, are they going to commit to him or not, uh, and what really ended up happening this season, why they took a step back from what they were a year ago. So it's always great to talk to you. Um, thanks again, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Brady. Sounds good, guys. Great day. That's Brady Quinn, Fox Sports College and NFL studio and game analyst. Two pros and a cup of Joe alongside LeVar Arrington and Jonas Knox. You can hear that radio program that precedes ours Monday through Friday on Fox Sports Radio. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Or stream us live on the Peacock app. Ray Allen, the uh, Hall of Famer, two-time NBA champ. And uh, we wanted to have Ray on so I could still call him the greatest three-point shooter of all time, and then that'll probably change in a couple of days here. But uh, Ray Allen, kind enough to join us. Huh? It doesn't have to change. It doesn't? Still call me that. I can still call you the greatest three-point shooter of all time? Yeah. Are you the greatest three-point shooter of all time? Well, that's uh, certainly subjective, uh, depending on who – who you're talking to. Uh, and, and, and I think that's uh, something that it's interesting when we talk about that in sports, when, when we talk about who we think the greatest of all times is when you're talking about, you know, whatever quarterbacks to, you know, best basketball players. <clears throat> I think it's important to understand, like, cause we all have a different perspective. You know, if you live in a great football city or basketball city, you've seen great basketball and, and what it means to you. And, and the game has certainly changed over the years. So as, as I've always tried to push who I think the greatest of all times is in any particular sport, I started to think about it and I was like, but that's to me, you know, it's my opinion. And, you know, kids today, they see what they see based on, you know, social media, and they can't imagine somebody being better than the current players that are playing today. Yeah, and, and I'm just looking at volume. And, and really, I don't even know how to quantify this record because it's not like Barry Bonds' home run record or Kareem's all-time scoring list. This is 
Steph Curry at the right time in the right place gets an opportunity to take eight to 10 to 12 three-pointers. When you first started out, you were shooting less than four three-pointers a game. If you were starting out yeah. now, you're probably shooting eight to 10 to 12 three-pointers a game, I'm guessing. Yeah, no, most definitely. Uh, when I first got into the league, uh, to shoot a three-pointer was like, you know, it was like <laughs> forbidden. Like the coach got mad at you, he'd take you out of the game. Uh, he wanted you to swing the ball, throw it into the post. And so, you know, it started to, to evolve. So I, I've been seeing all these uh, these posts about, you know, how many games I played and with my record compared to Steph. And I thought to myself, I was like, what, what actually does that mean? Uh, because everybody's like, oh, he did this many more games. And to your point, it's, it, you know, we shouldn't be comparing because it has nothing to do. It doesn't say that he's a better shooter than me or I'm a better shooter than him or we're better than Reggie. It just is a number based on the the time frame that we've played in and how we've had an effect on the game while we played. Yeah, because I, I would never say that I was better than Reggie because uh, Reggie basically – he grew a lot of us young shooters up and we idolized what he did. And we kind of built into our, into our practice, into our routines, into to how we play the game off of, you know, the, 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 the example that he set. And so to, to try to compare myself to him is like, you know, this, this, he's part of me. And that's kind of, I think as we start to move on, every each generation sees what the the previous one did, and they build off of what they did. And that that's what makes the the, the game great, and the players great because of who's come before them. Ever lose confidence in your shot? Uh, I think I've I've lost confidence in, in my shot. I think I know I always was going to be able to shoot the next shot, but the thing that's most difficult is when you when you go into a slump. You're the, it seems like you're the only one that's trying to help you get out of that slump because, you know, the, the, the escalator moves on because every coach is like, well, he's not shooting the ball well, so we'll sit him down and put somebody else in. And so I'm like, well, coach, I need more touches. Um, so it is it's certain for shooters, you have to be able, be able to find a way uh, to get to the free throw line, to get the easy layups, uh, to do the things that don't put pressure on your long ball. Who taught you how to shoot? Well, my dad was a great shooter. Uh, he shot right-handed and left-handed. Um, I always give credit to Jeff Lynch uh, at, at the base that I grew up in, in, in Edwards Air Force Base. I'm Phil Pleasant because they gave me the fundamentals. You know, I still have the video of when I was shooting free throws, and it looked very terrible. And then um, as I got older, um, I had um, – you know, Coach Hobbs, who's now at Rutgers, they had a big win last night. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah, shot. I did. And Ron Harper's uh, son hit the game yeah, winner. Ron Harper Jr. So congratulations to Rutgers on that on that game winner. Um, but Coach Hobbs was he was a guards coach uh, at UConn my freshman year, and that was his first year at UConn. And he gave me these tools to work on that I needed to get better at at shooting and being a guard a guard in college. <clears throat> so. It seems like there's not one person, but there's a collection of people over the years. And, and I don't think any any year that I played, I thought I was good, but I was always getting pushed by somebody from one year to the next. And something was being added to uh, to my training, to workouts. And, you know, I was just a, I soaked it up every every year. But you start to look at around the NBA and there are guys who just can't shoot. Yeah. 
how do you react to that when you see a guy who can't even make you know 50% of his free throws? Well, uh, I've come to find out that free throws, uh, it's just focus. And, and I think we, we don't understand how emotional they are. And, and if you don't take that emotion that you have in games, think about it. you either just got knocked down, um, you know, you hard foul, like uh, the score of the game, you either down two and you got to make these two, or, you know, you're up two and you got to ice the game. There's different scenarios that force you to think about the free throw. And if you don't practice that uh, during practice, then you're not preparing yourself for the game. <clears throat> and then further, when you think about so many guys shooting threes, how many guys take a three when they don't need to, and they can just kind of take that one, two dribble and get the mid range uh, jump shot. And that takes the pressure off the three ball, a time when you didn't need it. And you figure if you, if you took nine threes in a game and you're like two for nine, if you only took six and you're two for six, you know, you get those other little mid range uh, shots going then it, you might even be four for six because now you, you got yourself a little confidence going. Would you be in favor of moving the three-point line back? Uh, no, I, I don't think moving it back. Uh, what if you would, eliminated the three-point shot? Um, it, it would definitely make the game more methodical, uh, I think, because then you'd have to move around. Better? But, would it make it better? I don't think so. I think it'd be more helter-skelter because the three-point line is – it gives us a sense of spacing. Uh, it's a threat. It gives us, you know, for for uh, for the defense. But I think the best way to use a three-pointer is that. It's just to threaten your opponent you can shoot it, and then you set it up with your great shooters, and you're able to get into the paint and do other things. Yeah, but there's no movement in basketball. <laughs> there's a lot of stand around because of the three-point shot. And – you got guys who are shooting threes who don't shouldn't be shooting threes, Ray. It's your, yeah, it's your fault. You. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I, I don't blame myself at all, by, <laughs> any, by the way. Um, I like to think that I, I put some good stuff out there and, and set a good uh, tone, but I think what it boils down to is a lot of the coaches, uh, when you think about what they accept and what they allow. Um, because I've, as you know, in the last six, seven years, I'd be watching games, even – uh, in the high school level, I don't see it as much in college, but you see kids shooting between half court and three-point line, and then the coaches don't say anything. Like, I get it. The three is more worth more than the two, but at some point, a coach has to reel in certain guys and say, you know, percentage-wise, you know, until you get, you know, work on this shot and you get better attempts and you're more efficient, I don't want you shooting threes. I want you to get to the basket, you know. We've lost a little bit of the mid-range game and the post-game for sure. Well, what would uh, so happen if Shaq was playing now? If Shaq came into the league right now? The league, it would have to change again because Shaq was just too dominant. Uh, I think that I believe that the the way to go back, because well, we're, we're a copycat league, so when Golden State started winning championships, what happened was everybody had to adjust to how they played if they wanted to try to beat them. So they sped up their games. A lot of people started finding shoot threes and three shooters and trying to get them to, 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 to shoot the ball. A lot of bigs lost their jobs. You know, they moved to end the benches. Um, Philly had a kid from Duke. Um, Elton Brand? Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, you know, a little bit younger. 
uh, big guy. Uh, he came into the league as they started shooting threes, and then he actually had no no place. I can't think of his name right now. But until until Philly wins the NBA championship, you know, that's when I think it's going to revert back to, you know, a big because you got Embiid down there. That team right now saying we don't really have to – to, to, to deal with him because they're not dominating the Eastern Conference and the NBA to where we need a defensive big and a big that can score on him down low. Right now, we don't have that. And so until they do that and they change it, uh, the game is going to be where it is. We're talking to Ray Allen, the uh, two-time NBA champ, <laughs> the all-time leader in three-pointers made. Are you going to – have you been asked to go to the game in Philadelphia or in Indiana the next two games for Steph? Yeah, I, I've I've talked with I spoke with uh, with the the people with uh, with the Warriors, and I actually spoke with Steph a little bit, uh, trying to kind of help him navigate uh, this whole process. Uh, it's an exciting time for him, uh, and I, I try to give him the kind of what I was dealing with, and you know, going into the game and and everything that 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 led up to it, and you know, I was fortunate because it was uh, I, I broke the record in Boston against uh, the Lakers with Reggie in the building. So uh, it's just only appropriate that uh, I find my way there uh, by hook or by crook. Uh, I don't know where it's going to be. So I got to kind of watch this thing. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm coaching myself uh, Gulliver prep here in Miami. Yeah. And so we have games as well. So it's kind of like a, a, a tricky situation for me trying to navigate kind of what, what it is that, that happens with them. But why don't you I go and heckle him, Ray? Why don't you like put up a sign I, or yell out? I'm the king. Because if you haven't watched anything over the last 12 years, that's not going to bother Steph. I know. <laughs> <laughs> who do you think would be a better three-point shooter knowing who they are if they started out now, Kobe or Michael? Well, I, I think they both were underrated three-point shooters. When you think about they, – they just – it's like if you could do one thing great and a couple things great, then some of the other things get overshadowed. Mike just never really had to shoot threes because he was so good inside the paint. Kobe was so good just scoring in, in general. So um, if I had to say between both of them, uh, you know, for, for it's hard because they, they both play with their back to the basket. They both were slashes at the rim. Uh, I, I just don't think that their games were designed to just sit out there and wait and sit behind a three point line, but better form, better shooting form, Jordan, uh, or Kobe? better form, jo Jordan, for sure. Really? Yeah. See, this may sound strange to you. I think Clay Thompson is a better stand shooter than Steph is. Steph yeah. is, it's like Steph just creates. Clay, you know, get the ball, maybe one dribble or catch and shoot is more dangerous than Steph. Is that, is that a fair assessment in your opinion? Well, I wouldn't say more dangerous because Steph has the ball all the time. You know, so you have to really take that offense or that defense and you have to contribute two and then sometimes three guys to him. And then that's where everybody around him is able to 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 be great in their roles. But in my comparison with, with Clay, Clay is moving without the ball. He, he can shift the defense uh, when he gets open. Everybody gets open, similar to, to how I played. I believe that Steph is in a lane of his own that I don't think he has. You can say, you know, he and Damian Lillard 
uh, with their ability to shoot from deep uh, and, and be able to handle the ball and get to the, the paint. But Steph gets to the paint more than Lillard does. Uh, but I would compare uh, Clay more to myself and Reggie because we are moving without the ball. We're, we're kind of on the weak side a lot. And we and throw Rip Hamilton in there, you know, even though Rip wasn't uh, – he, he wasn't a big volume three-point shooter. But to be able to move the defense and to come off pin downs and screens and shoot in transition without touching the ball, that's a, that's a real, real talent. Is LeBron a good shooter? Um, I, I, I say he, he's a good shooter, but he's also a field shooter. The more he has the ball in his hands, you know, he could make shots. He's a shot maker. Yeah. I don't like, I don't like the form and I don't like that. He's taken all these threes, but I think that might come as you get older that you just don't want to drive to the hoop and take the beating. Yeah. And you feel it when you get older, you feel, you know, you don't have that, that, that uh, there's a, the, like a sponginess for lack of a better term that your, your body, you know, your, your calves, your ankles, you feel that sponginess when you're younger, when you get older, that goes away a little bit. And so <laughs> you can, you can work on jumping just that, that, that much and perfect your shooting from, from outside. Like when I had one of my best shooting nights when I had uh, uh, patella tendonitis uh, when I was playing in Milwaukee and I just managed how to come off a screen and shoot just by jumping a little bit and pushing the rest away with my hands. And so LeBron, with his size, he has so much upper body strength, though. He's going to be able to maintain shooting and shooting well, but he has to have the ball in his hands to keep that rhythm. Did you ever air ball a three-pointer? I'm not, I'm not going to say no, because I'm sure somebody could find some, <laughs> somewhere. Uh, but I, I, I always get on my kids because I said, varsity players, you guys should not be shooting air balls. Nowhere. You know, get the ball, let it hit the rim. But – uh, you know, just like anything, never up, never in. So shooting the air balls, like you didn't even have a shot of it going in. But see, you got to show your kids. And I do think this is great because people now, you know, they find you again and then we talk about you. So I think even though you're going to lose this record, it's also great to shine the spotlight on you one more time or at least one more time with, you know, your greatness at, at shooting. Yeah. And then it goes back to Reggie as well, because there's a, there's a, a beginning and then there's a where we are now. And, and how about an over 50 three point shooting contest? Uh, over 50? Yeah. I mean, you, you'd be surprised. You, you know, over 50 guys can still shoot. You know, Reggie can still shoot. You see, Reggie, he's a cyclist. He keeps himself. Well, you're not shape. 50 yet. So, not yet. How old are you? 46. Okay. So, an over 45 three point shooting contest. Are you the yeah, one seed? Uh, I mean, I, I, I like my odds. Okay. Against anybody over 45, for sure. Reggie's I, still I, still pretty good. Yeah, I, I, everybody's good. Like, I, I, the one thing that you have to remember, and I tell this to everybody that, that you know, is a fan of mine or, or, or loves the way I shot the ball, is that for for majority of my career, I wasn't the best player. I won't say majority, but for a lot of teams I played on, I wasn't the best shooter on my teams, you know. I had uh, Eddie House, uh, great, great shooter, and, and, you know, was like the microwave. I think you're I, being humble. I think you're being no, humble. I'm telling you, these guys, it's like when you see that every day and you're, you're pushing and they're shooting the ball, like Mike Miller, James Jones, Michael Red, 
Like those those types of guys, they shoot the ball so well. And and when you see them shooting in a practice, they're going at your head every single drill. And it pushes you and you, you just stay challenged, you stay competing. And without guys like that on my team, you know, it's hard for me to think how good I actually could could have been without that 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 example. Maybe I get Bird, Bird sixty five. You know, he might be able to give you one rack <laughs> he'd be able to give you one rack of balls, talk some smack. But remember, Bird Bird didn't rely on athleticism to shoot. So it's all in his hands and his wrists. So I I do believe he can still shoot it. And you pointed out, you know, that people forget this, that Steph with the legs, Trey Young with the legs, like your shot starts with your legs. And I think people forget about that uh, when you're trying to create your jump shot there. And that's, I think, an underrated part of uh, great deep shooters. Yeah. And every, every, if you go back to every all-star weekend, when you look at the three-point shootout, you listen to the commentary of, of uh, the broadcast and they talk about the guys who have a, a greater chance of winning because they are more push shot shooters. So you see they get the ball and they just push it from here and they get to the rack and they just push and they don't rely heavily on their lower body. And however you do it, you know, it's, it requires practice and understanding what, what your release point is every time you shoot it. And you got to get it off quick, obviously, playing around great athletes. So you take Steph – he doesn't have a lot of movement in his lower body. Same thing with, uh, with Trey Young. And so they get the ball off quick because it's to get the ball, just, you, you just push it up there, and they've perfected that. So it's not – when people look at me, when they look at Reggie, when they look at Dale Curry, Dale shot the ball up here. So when you look at all these different shooters, there's everybody has a different form. Mine was severely – uh, reliant on, you know, my legs, my lower body. So, you know, you catch me on a shoot around in Chicago in January and February, I was having a <laughs> tough go at it to start the day. Cause that, that, that United center at the time was like, it felt like it was 30 degrees. <laughs> I'm like, I, I can't jump. Everything I'm shooting is front rim. I'm like, I, I just don't, I, for, so for me, I had to really get warmed up. And I had to understand my body. Yeah, but Ray, it, did, it, it didn't bother. Jump. It didn't bother Michael Jordan jumping in the United Center. Nope, and that's why he was great at seven thirty at night. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he was every every night at seven thirty. He was great. Uh, hey, great to talk to you again, and uh, hopefully uh, you get some recognition, more recognition out of this. And uh, thanks for joining us, Ray. All right, Dan. Thanks for seeing me. That's, that's Ray Allen, Hall of Famer, two-time NBA champ. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's me, three-time Pro Bowler LeVar Arrington, and I couldn't be more excited to announce a new podcast called Up On Game. What is Up On Game, you ask? along with my fellow pro bowler, T.J. Hushmanzada, and Super Bowl champion, yep, that's right, Plexico Burris. You can only name a show with that type of talent on it, Up On Game. We're going to be sharing our real-life experiences loaded with teachable moments. Listen to Up On Game with me, LeVar Arrington, T.J. Hushmanzada, and Plexico Burris on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Zach Levi plays uh, NFL Hall of Famer Kurt Warner in the new biopic 
American Underdog, which opens in theaters everywhere on Christmas. And the uh, great actor Zachary Levi joins us on the program. Do you know that we might be related? What? Yeah, we might be. How? Talk to me. Your last name is Pugh. Yes. My last name's Pugh. You're kidding me. No. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Wait, where, where did your, where did your uh, parents or grandparents, where do they, you know, uh, hearken from? Ohio. Ohio. Okay. Well, I mean, my, my dad was born in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. His, his dad was Minnesota based, but that's, you know, that Northern Midwest. I mean, you know, you go back a generation beyond that or two and that we could, we could actually be from the same line and both handsome actors. So, I mean, that's really the evidence, right? I mean, forget the last name. It's, Look at the resemblance. Look at the, the sexiness that we exude. <laughs> but when I was growing up, you know, everybody made fun of that last name. And you had oh. to be really good because if you didn't, it's pew, you stink. And I remember I got to CNN, my first job, and my boss goes, you got to change your name. And I thought he meant my first name because I had already, you know, I was in my, my late 20s. I had already, you know, suffered the slings and arrows of having the last name of pew. And then all of a sudden he goes, no, your last name. And he said, take your middle name, which I'm assuming that's what you did. That's exactly what I did. Dude, we, we, we've walked very similar paths. Yeah. I mean, yeah, look, it, growing up with the last name Pew, uh, teased relentlessly, particularly when you get to like middle school where everyone is just so horrible anyway. Um, and then, yeah, you know, it was interesting when I, <clears throat> cause I always wanted to be the actor that I am now ever since I was a little kid. And, but I'd always told myself, I'm not going to, I'm not going to change for Hollywood. I'm not going to bend for Hollywood. I, you know, <laughs> genuinely. And, and I got down into Hollywood and then my agent told me, she was like, listen, you know, every time I make a phone call on your behalf, it's not, there's always a comment. It's not always necessarily derogatory, but there's always a comment. And I just want you to know that. And so then I thought and prayed on it real hard. And then ultimately came to the same conclusion, which was if I just augmented my full name, I can still be me. I'm not changing who I am, but I'm rebranding, if you will, you know, within the confines of my actual name. So, Well, I have two guys in the back who are Jewish, and I had to break the news to them that I didn't think you were Jewish. And they yeah. go, wait, his name is Zach Levi. Can you confirm yeah. or deny that uh, you're Jewish? I am not a Jew, but I, but, but I am an honorary member of the tribe, let me tell you. Okay. I've, re I've read the child's role at Seder <laughs> half a dozen times. Uh, almost all of my representation are Jewish. Uh, no, I mean, listen, uh, it is definitely something that a lot of people confuse. I have, dis I have broken the hearts of so many Jewish mothers <laughs> who were so happy to see me in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and were sliding into my DMs, literally like these Jewish moms, like, have I got the girl for you? And then they would... Then message me later after finding out the news, after having, you know, searched it, Googled it on, online. They're like, oh, my, my, my heart is broken, but you're still invited over for dinner. I'm like, OK. All right. So you get the script for the Kurt Warner story. What did yeah. you know about him prior to? I mean, you know, I, I knew a good bit or rather I knew what, let's say, most of us who were watching that story go down in real time knew. 
And there was a good bit in there. I mean, the bullet points were pretty profound. I mean, that's why all of us were so impressed by what we were witnessing. I mean, there was this incredible Cinderella story, obviously, of this guy who essentially comes out of nowhere uh, and that they rally around and, and play good football. They literally did just that. And, and then, you know, that, you know, um, against the this this story that was coming out of he was, you know, stocking shelves in a grocery store not too long before that. And also, you know, being a person of faith and seeing his faith kind of manifest in that moment. And I, that was very cool and connective. So I knew a lot of those bits. But like most of us, I didn't know the real underlying foundation and, 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 and journey and ups and downs and struggles that he and Brenda and the kids all kind of went through in order to get to that place. And, and really ultimately, you know, I think that that's what makes it all, gives it all meaning. It gives it all purpose. It, it's what gave Kurt purpose more than just this football, this dream he was chasing after. He found something that was even more worthy of his love, even more worthy of his, uh, you know, attention and focus. And lo and behold, he, he then goes and values this and beautiful thing, this beautiful woman and her, and her, and her children and the relationship. And then all of this dream that he had his whole life starts to reveal itself. And then in such an incredible way. And I think all of those things are very much intertwined. It's why it all makes it, you know, not just special, but also infinitely relatable. I think all of us have had these moments in our lives, no matter where we've been, where we, we have our supermarket moment. I mean, I worked at a car wash for a year and a half, just trying to be sitting in the seat right now talking to you. You know, it's this character building stuff. Also, I think everybody's had their version of scraping change out of their car doors to put gas in their tank. You know, th those are the types of things that I didn't know. I didn't know that about Kurt or Brenda or any of that, but it's what resonated with me the most for sure. Yeah, but you worked at a, a shirtless car wash. I think people should understand that. Like, I mean, come on. You got to give the people what they want, Dan. <laughs> but do you get shoes? How often do you get, hey, Shazam? Oh, I mean, a good bit. I get, I get, hey, Chuck. Uh, I did this TV show, Chuck, a long time ago. Some people recognize me from that. A lot of people recognize me from Shazam. I'm sure now moving forward, there may be some people that yell out, yo, what's, what's up, fake Kurt? Or whatever. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Have you gone honestly, to Shazam I, I, to a Halloween party? Say what? Have you gone to Shazam to a Halloween party? No, no. That. I mean, listen, you know, maybe if it was a prank that we had set up, but that's like, you know, they're... they're you know, like how you don't wear the band shirt to the concert? Yeah. That's like the band wearing the band shirt to the band's own concert. Like, you can't. You just can't do that. Uh, there's the bagging the groceries thing that I think everybody thinks of when they think of Kurt Warner with the, you know, the journey there. I love the, uh, the story. He told this about 10 years ago to us, that he got bit by a spider on his honeymoon. Oh, yeah. And it affected his tryout with the Bears. With and the Bears, yeah. Yeah, he told me that story. I was like, I, this is crazy. I mean, again, all the different ways that his his journey, his life could have gone. You know what? What if what if he actually was able to step up in that moment when he when he had the look with the Packers? You know, he, maybe they kept him on as a third stringer. I mean, what if he was behind Favre for all those years and never would have got any play? And all of a sudden, because he didn't end up with the Packers, he ends up and then almost gets a shot with the Bears and doesn't, and then is with the Rams. And then he's sitting there and he's waiting. You know, he's biting his time and he's and he's but, waiting for his moments and then that was insane zach if he went to the bears there would have been no kurt warner movie just letting you know yeah there uh, wouldn't have well been. there'd be no super bowls there'd be no hall of fame it's about the bears not kurt that it would have probably ended quickly 
And yeah, yeah, and you yeah, those were those were some thin years for Chicago. We're we're still in some thin years for Chicago, unfortunately. Okay, more important to look like Kurt Warner, act like Kurt Warner, or to throw like Kurt Warner. The simple answer is yes, Uh, all of the above. Um, I don't know. I mean, look, obviously. I think you know part of part of uh, your as an actor part of your initial ability to be believable to an audience is do you even look anywhere close to who this person is? I feel like we did that pretty good. Okay. Um, I feel like um, I feel like Kurt and I, particularly the more we've even got to know each other, the more we realize that while we are obviously still very different people, we 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 have a lot of similar DNA. We share a lot of similar things and how we. Uh, see the world and interact with the world and how we want to treat people and the things we care about. And um, so that really was helpful in kind of finding his essence and absorbing kind of more of who he was. And then, you know, I was fortunate enough to have a great quarterback coach in uh, my friend Clint Dolazell, who also played some, you know, obviously college, played arena against Kurt, and then uh, actually got drafted by the Bears and was there for a hot second. Uh, Did not have the storied career that Kurt had, but I had about two months of this quarterback, you know, crash course. Uh, and really did everything I could to not just, you know, obviously, you know, try to throw as, as good a ball as I could throw. And I do, I feel like I got down, I could throw some dimes here and there for sure, but really getting into the headspace of what it means to be a quarterback and really understand, you know, how to lead your team in the huddle under center, read your, uh, read your receivers and their coverage, you know, try not to telegraph to the, the coverage, which receiver you're trying to throw to. Um, all of that stuff is, is very pertinent. If you're trying to bring a sports movie uh, as realistically as you can to an audience. And I, and I feel like with all of that done and, and look, I mean, I also had incredible doubles who played a lot of football growing up and could throw dimes far more consistently than me and took like, I took some hits, but I took the hits that I could take where I wouldn't break, I wouldn't break and not be able to continue doing, you know, shooting the film. And I had a, you know, a double that like literally his whole job was like, all right, bud, you're going in and <laughs> linebacker, boom, just taking him out. So, so it's a, it's a, it's a a village you know to, to bring it all to life but all the pieces are there your favorite sports movie is what oh man um you know i honestly i think field of dreams is probably my favorite sports movie not it's not my favorite real life sports movie uh but it's i think all in all i just there's something about it that's just so profound and uh, and I love, like, it's one of Costner's best roles. And, um, you know, I don't know. I, it's, it's just wonderful. Hey, congrats. Great to talk to you. We appreciate you uh, joining us. And let's do it again. Thank you, Dan. It's a pleasure to meet you, man. 